Monte Alto. Take your Bibles. And we are going to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I mentioned a couple passages this morning. Where did I say? Psalm 77. Y'all remember that. We're going to look at that in a moment. Psalm 77 and some places in Ezekiel, if y'all remember, right? Ezekiel 33 and 34. So John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10. Now, as we look at these passages of Scripture, we want to keep in mind that John 9 rolls right into John 10. This situation with this young man who had been healed, who was born blind, that the Bible tells us he was born for that very reason that he would encounter Jesus on that given day outside of that temple and his eyes would be open to be able to see and that whole working what took place within him and how that would affect everybody around him to the point that it became such a heated debate and divisive distinction between him looking and confessing and saying that Jesus did this that it created such tension in his life with his parents, with the leaders of the temple and the Pharisees, that this great division took place. It kind of goes along with what we learn over in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 10. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword in the sense that he was going to divide the difference between uh, sons and daughters and moms and dads, not that that division was to create tension on the people who trusted him with everyone else, but everyone else would have problems with those that trusted him. And that's what we see. The young man didn't walk in that temple that day causing any trouble. He just went in telling everybody that he couldn't see, uh, but now he can and they asked him who did it, and he said he just knew of a man by the name of Jesus. He didn't know any more about him, right? And he then goes to explain, and his parents, did, I know we looked at it in Sunday school, but did we look at that in this morning's passage? Did we, did, I know we referred to it, but with his parents. Look in nine, John 9, in verse number 20, let's see. I'm going to say 19, 9, 19. Let's just start there. Well, verse number 17. Well, verse 16. Let's do that. We're so close to it, Stephanie. Why not? Amen? Why not? I wonder if that's how why not got its name down there. Did something happen? They said, why not? Why not just right here, huh? Think that's probably how that happened? Why not? Let's just plant right here. Who, who knows? Verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Boy, they was big on the Sabbath for which they didn't keep either. Remember, if you broke the law in any kind of way, you broke it in every kind of way. And all God's people said, Amen. that was evident, but they didn't know that. They couldn't recognize that. They were so hard on him. And Jesus said, look, God, he made it for you. It was, it was intentional, purposeful for your rest, not for you to make it such trouble for everybody else. Yes, 
it is an identifiable marker. That was one of the markers that God continued to bring up in the Old Testament of about the Sabbath that identified God's people with him. Very similar how circumcision was a sign of Abraham trusting God and his obedience. At nearly 100 years old, he gets circumcised as well as everybody that was part of him uh, followed his leadership and did it because God asked him to do it, which was a picture of a covenant of that cutting away of the flesh of what God would do later on in the heart of his people. But the Sabbath was one of those that distinguished Israel as being different and belonging to the creator who worked and created for six days and on the seventh day rested. That was the picture of it. And we find again and again in the Old Testament of how God emphasized uh, the importance of the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was never to be a burden. It was to be what? A blessing. Well, by this time, they had done made it into a burden. They had so many laws that they created around it, people couldn't really rejoice in this rest because they were concerned if they would possibly break the Sabbath. For an example, they set up laws on how far you could carry a pot on the Sabbath. You couldn't carry a pot, Brother Shannon, outside of the home. You could only carry it within the home. So that they, because they begin to think about, for an example, does God still work on the Sabbath? Does God still work? Does God still do things on the Sabbath? On, on that day of rest, did God still hold everything together? Did God still bring rain? And God still do this? See, they, they begin to contemplate on, well, did God still do things on the Sabbath? Well, if God did things on the Sabbath, then that means there's some things we can do, but what can we do? And seeing the whole world is God's house, when God works, he can do what he wants and move freely within it. But us, if we in our houses, we can only carry a pot within the house. You can't carry a pot out of the house. You see how ridiculous it got? And there were so many things that crippled people. And when Jesus freed people from burdens on the Sabbath, they wanted to kill him for it. And this is where we've landed here. So he says... This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. That division was among the unbelieving Jews. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. They thought they was being tricked by the guy, even though many of them walked by him again and again because these beggars and blind people and lame people would be outside of the temple. But they're doing everything they can to discredit Jesus. So they're trying to discredit what Jesus just did. Until they called the boy's parents who had received sight. Verse 19. And they asked them saying, Is this your son? Is this your boy who, who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But. By what means he now sees, we do not know, 
or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of a ripe old age. He's a grown boy. You ask him yourself, or he'll speak for himself. Now, why did his parents do this? Verse 22 explains to us that they knew, they done got word who did this for him. They knew it, but they wouldn't say it. Verse 22 says this. His parents said to these things because they feared who? The Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, that same Jew would be put out of the synagogue. So word done spread. You cannot agree with the confession of Jesus that he says he is the Messiah, he is God, he is the Christ. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. I love how the scriptures doesn't hide anything from us. It always opens up and reveals darkness and it's testifying that these, these parents knew exactly what had happened to the boy, but because of their intimidation of the Jews, they would not speak up and they passed the buck on him is what they did. They were afraid of what people would say and do to them. Well, verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and they said to him, give God the glory, glory. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, he is a sinner. They wanted him to testify that Jesus was a sinner because he had broken what? The Sabbath. And they were willing for that man to lie so that they could be seen as right. They knew something had happened to him. They could not deny that. Here's his parents that done gave witness to the man was blind. Now he can see. And they are going to great extremes to get the man to lie and discredit Jesus so that they could credit themselves before the rest of the people. And people will go to great means to discredit the message of God so that they can validate their own message. And this is what was happening. Even his parents got caught up in this and was too ashamed to admit what Jesus had done for their son who had lived his entire life blind. They were too ashamed to give him any credit for it whatsoever because they were afraid of the consequences. So you know what that tells me? His parents could not see that Jesus was who he said he was. Amen. If they had seen that he was God they would have testified and said it was Jesus the Christ who touched his life and changed him. But because they wanted to be accepted and not kicked out, because eventually we know what happens. What did they do to this boy? They kicked him out. You know what they said? You were born a sinner and we are teachers and you cannot override us. So they discredited his character. They dismantled him as a person and it destroyed him before the eyes of the people so that they could, what, discredit, dismantle, and destroy the miracle that took place in his life and kicked him out. They couldn't stand on their principles and his principles of what had just taken place to him, so that's what they do. So that is the context that leads us into chapter number 10. Jesus, outside of that temple, he goes to the boy. That's the neat thing about it. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you when they mistreat you I'll be with you when they when they demand you to speak on my behalf I'll give you the words to speak 
And the boy stood his ground and he said, look, I don't know much about him. I just know it was Jesus. It's what he said his name was who did this for me. And Jesus came to him and Jesus told him exactly who he was. And the boy, knowing who, what he just did for him, what the boy do? He bowed down and he worshiped the Lord. Now, chapter nine is that great picture that really deals with all of us when we've been given spiritual sight from our deadness and blindness in life. We're going to go through the same things. It's going to be the same cycles. It's going to be the same things going to happen to us. We might not be able to give an answer to everything because we just don't know. We only know as much as Jesus teaches us. And we only know as much as we know what he teaches us as we seek him and go to him. And he reveals more about himself. And the more we know, the more we're willing to share. The more confidence we have, the more courage we have. We just know that we could not once see who he was. But now we see that he is God and he is our God. And we have cast our life upon him. He's forgiven us of our sins. We love him. We love his people. We love his word. And we're going to stick with him. And we're going to worship him and go wherever he tells us to go. Why? What he's done in our life. He's changed us. Amen. Amen. He's changed us. We were born into sin. And now we've been set free from that burden so that we can follow after him. Well, chapter 10, verse 1, they're standing outside this temple. He's talking to these people that had just kicked the boy out. And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He has no part of the sheep if he comes in another way. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And that door, what we say the morning, it's a, this morning, that word is what? A porter. And what is a porter? A doorkeeper. One who carried a burden. And that porter, as we get the name, uh, you figure here in Porterville, is a basis of where that word porter comes from. It's one who, in the railroad world, what did a porter do, uh, uh, Brother Billy? Um, they the ones who what? Took care of the luggage and took care of all those things. They, they carried a burden for those on a passenger train. Just like if you went into a city in, the, in New York or you went into a big city with a hotel and you have doorkeepers there who are waiting for you to arrive and they want to take your stuff or get you a valet parking. These are doorkeepers. These are porters that are there. Where a porter or a doorkeeper would on behalf of the shepherds bear the burden through the night so that the sheep could rest and the shepherds could rest. That was a job they had and their responsibility was to keep the sheep corralled within that fold. And we talked about this this morning is that they had what? Uh, A bunch of different sheep from a bunch of different shepherds that were corralled in one spot. That one doorkeeper, a porter, they may be multiple in a, in a town that would work shifts. However, they would work it through the night or, or however many days they would work while the shepherds rested. But when daylight came along, what did the shepherds do? They come out and each one, one by one, would come and call his sheep through the gate, past the doorkeeper, and they would go out into the pasture and feed and they would take care of them. 
Water was just not a readily supply in those days. So a lot of the water holes, the shepherds would lead all their sheep to them and the sheep would ease on in. Sheep are usually gentle, docile type animals. They would not be a, a problem for one another, but they would go up and they would drink and then the shepherd would call his sheep by name and he would lead them on out. And the next shepherd would lead his own out and they would just keep leading them. And the sheep was able to recognize the voice of the shepherd. And that is one of our most precious defensive means whatsoever. Sheep cannot defend themselves. They don't have any means to defend themselves other than trying to get away from harm. Their greatest means of defense is the voice of the shepherd. And their shepherd comes to their rescue with his staff and with his rod. And he will drag them alone if needed and then beat away a beast or a robber or a thief. Whatever he had to, he would do whatever he needed to do to protect his sheep. It wasn't a well-paid job. It was a, a lonely job. It was a difficult job. It was out in the elements from day in and day out. And in a lot of cases around the world, shepherds were saw as the, the bottom of the bottom. As a matter of fact, y'all remember when Abraham, who was a shepherd, and Jacob was a shepherd, and his father Isaac was a shepherd. Remember when they went into Israel, that, excuse me, into Egypt? Egypt would not allow shepherds into the central part of their society, and they gave Jacob and the 12 tribes, they gave them the land of Goshen. So that they could go shepherd their people. Remember God had sent a servant in before Jacob's son Joseph. Who set all that up for his people. But is, Egyptians stayed away from the shepherds. Because they were seen as defiled or dirty people. For what job they had to do among the sheep. So these shepherds would lead these sheep in and out. They showed compassion to the sheep. They cared for their sheep. They made their living by way of the sheep, by selling their wool and providing uh, lambs and those types of things for sacrifices and for families. That was what the business they were in. It wasn't a very lucrative business, but though some wealthier people, just like in today's times, would have sheep as well. That they themselves didn't shepherd, but they hired a shepherd to take care of their sheep. For them. So we, we see this as Jesus is explaining to those who had just kicked this boy out, who had such an issue with him working on the Sabbath, who was the Lord of the Sabbath, who is God of the Sabbath, who's God over everything. They had such a problem with it. Now he's about to teach them some serious lessons as well as educate us on the life of the good shepherd. So he says in verse number six, Jesus, this is chapter 10, 6, Jesus used this illustration, which is a figure of speech, but they did not understand that the things which he spoke uh, to them, they didn't grab it. So he goes on a little bit further. Then Jesus said to them again, Verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved and will go in and out and find 
pastor. So not only is Jesus the shepherd of his sheep, but Jesus is the entryway, the door for his sheep to enter in. There is no entering into his fold except through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said his way was narrow. Why is Jesus' way narrow? Why is the way narrow? Because God only has what? One way. It's exclusive. God only has one door, one way. And Jesus is that door to the sheep. And when you come into Jesus, you have access in and out, in and out, in and out, through the door to follow the voice of the shepherd as he leads us in this life. So let's think about the shepherd for a moment. Uh, look over in Mark's gospel chapter number six. Mark's gospel chapter number six. So it's obvious Jesus is talking about salvation here, being the door. If anybody's going to be saved, they got to go through Jesus, right? Amen. Remember, they didn't even like this young man being healed by Jesus, much less entering in the door themselves. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. So Mark, Mark chapter number six, look what he says in about verse number. This is a familiar message. We just read about it in John six when he says in verse number 32, 6.32. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them because they were what? They were as or like sheep not having a shepherd. So Jesus began to teach them many things. So Jesus began to teach them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd, without a guide, without a teacher, without a voice to be able to follow. And as a result, number one, Jesus was aware that they were without a shepherd. That's important for us to recognize today, that Jesus is aware of the people in this world who are without a shepherd. Amen. And all God's people said, So God sends us forth as his under-shepherds, as his workers, to also be aware and show compassion that's where we see he was affected by. He was moved with compassion. Isn't it a wonderful thing not only for him to be the door and him to be the good shepherd, but a shepherd that is moved with compassion when people are vulnerable and without a leader, without a guide, without a teacher, without a voice. He was affected and moved with compassion, but not aware, not only aware, not only affected, but he acted, Miss Pat. He acted and he called them and he began to teach them many things. Why? Because we are dealing with the door of the sheep. Not just the door of the sheep, but a good shepherd of the sheep who shepherds people, sheep, because he's aware of their needs. 
he is what? Moved with and affected by, and then he acts upon that and does this work. So we don't have to wonder ever, does God see where we are in life? He knows right where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows the difficulties that you're facing right now in life, the difficulties you're facing in your physical body. All of us in here are, are minus these little bitty ones that are running around. They grow and they, they don't even know what's coming at them in the coming days. They just rest in pawpaw and papaw and meemaw and momaw and mom and dad's care. I mean, they don't have a care in the world. All they do get to do is what they like to do and have fun to do and we we trying to shape them and mold them but then you get to Lucas and Brittany's age and boy they got a lot of responsibility on them raising these who have no idea what life's going to throw at them in the coming days and they know not only do we have to provide for them but we got to protect them and we've got to teach them and we got to love on them and shape them and mold them and then you get to Brother Shannon and Miss Pat when they've got the young Britneys and Lucases who are shaping and molding their children who are going through difficulties and have needs and have nieces having babies down in, in Ecuador and places like that and all those types of things that start waiting. I, I want to tell you, God knows what's going on in your spirit, what's going on in your life. He knows right where you are. He sees he's aware of it. He's aware of it. But you don't want to be found without a shepherd. Amen. And if you're not, he knows you're not. And he's going to send somebody to you. He's going to send somebody to you. But not only is he aware, but he's affected by it. He has compassion on us when we're just wandering through life without being guided in the right direction, without being taught in the right way. And he always acts on it. That's why we are missionaries. That's why we have assignments to go out and find those, those sheep that he come to find. So we're dealing with a shepherd. And all God's people said. And then he assigns under shepherds to do his work on this earth. And every one of us have a role in some capacity of under shepherding for the shepherd. Amen. In one way or another. To, to be aware of what are going on in people's lives. To be aware of what's happening within their relationships and what's going on in the job and be aware of those things. That's why the Bible tells us to testify to one another. Stephanie mentioned in our song, these songs we're singing, um, that he made something beautiful out of nothing. And that's all we are. We're, we're just a bunch of, what, nobodies telling everybody about somebody. Amen? Amen. Why? Because he wants to guide us. He wants to shepherd us through this life. And this was no strange figure of speech given to these people. They were all aware of what shepherds were. And you couldn't read much through the Older Testament and not see how God portrays himself as a shepherd. Y'all think with me, what's one of the most famous Psalms that talks about God being our shepherd? What is it? Psalm what? 23. Psalm 23. If I asked most of you to quote that Psalm, you could just about quote it based off of memory, huh? Well, I'm not going to get you to do that, but I'm going to get you to turn to it, though. So go to Psalm 23. Let's think about this for a moment. Psalm 23. Now, what we want is not just understanding that we have a shepherd, but we want to make it personal in our life. That, yeah, he is a shepherd, but even more so than that, he is my shepherd. 
He is my shepherd. And that's what we find David confessing in this psalm. He is my shepherd. That means he's aware of what's going on in my life mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He is fully aware. Nothing is hidden from him. He's fully aware. He's not threatened by anything that's going on in my life. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no trouble. There's no problem. There's nothing that is troubling to him. It may be troubling to me, but it ain't troubling to my shepherd. Amen. Amen. He has has solutions for me. So, verse 1 of chapter 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. And if we can't say that, God is aware, he's affected, and he wants to act on it even this day where we surrender our life to him as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have no needs that he can't fulfill. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. Yes, he restores my what? My soul. He gives rest and restoration in my soul. My physical body's got to keep moving, Janet. My body's got to keep going. I may be wore out physically, but where does he give me rest at? Within, within my soul. There's a comfort within, a restoration within. He leads me in the paths. If he's leading me, where does he lead me? In paths of righteousness. New Testament says, if he leads me, he always leads me in triumph. If he's leading me, it's in triumph. It's in victory. Why? Because it's in passive righteousness. Why? He is my shepherd. And that's where he leads me. And he does it for his namesake. Because he's accountable for us. He takes responsibility for us. There's a passage in Amos chapter number 3. Y'all remind me, we're going to look at it in a moment about a shepherd. About a shepherd. Y'all don't let me forget to pull this up in a moment. Amos chapter 3 of the accountability of the shepherd. His responsibility before the owner. The one whom he's working for even with his own sheep. He's accountable. So y'all remind me to pull that up in a minute. Verse 4. Yea. Even though I walk through this life, which is the valley of the shadow of death, we're all living in the shadow of the fall, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they do what? They comfort me. They speak love to me, protection to me, provision for me. You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with all. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want you to think about how this is running parallel with what we read in John 10. Jesus said, the thief cometh to steal, kill, and what? But he says, I come to give you life and life more. David said, my cup runneth over. He fills us up with life. He fills us up with his ways as he shepherds us. As he shepherds us, it's always in paths of 
righteousness. These paths of righteousness always lead to triumph. And in that triumph and victory, what does God do? He's always diffusing the aroma of the knowledge of God through Christ and everywhere we go. Now, here's the thing. David talks about enemies. Why? Because in the New Testament, as he leads us in victory and diffuses that aroma, sometimes that aroma is a sweet smell and aroma of life. Other sheep smell the life that is in us as we follow the shepherd. But not all are sheep. Some are wolves. And the scripture says that when he leads us in victory, when he leads us in righteousness for his namesake, and he's diffusing the knowledge and the aroma of himself through our life, sometimes that aroma stinks. We are a stench. We smell. It's the aroma of death. And people want no part of him, but they don't see him. All they see is you. And they don't want no part of what you're doing. And you stink to them, Brother Shannon. You are a foul aroma of death to them. And they would rather, they would rather die than live the life you're living. Why? Because they're walking through darkness. They're still blind. They're still deaf. And they can't see the cup overflowing. They can't see it. All they smell is the stench of death. Where's that at? Y'all tell me where that's at. That's in... 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. And there's an allusion to this even in the Older Testament in 2 Samuel uh, 22 as well as in Psalms 18. David says that God reveals himself to the humble a particular way. He reveals himself to the righteous a particular way. But he says to those that are forward or twisted or crooked, God reveals himself as twisted and crooked. People don't want anything to do with him. Why? Because their heart's bent toward death. They see him as anything they don't want nothing to do with. And he stinks to them, but they don't see him. They see you. And when they see you, you stink to them because they don't want any part of your life, even though they can't see the Lord. So when he leads us, sometimes, boy, you get around some people, you, you get around those that's got a testimony with the shepherd, man, they smell nothing but life on your life. They rejoice with you. They celebrate with you. They say, come, let us magnify the Lord together and exalt his name together. Amen. But other people say, boy, you sure foul and stink and I don't want no part of this whatsoever. And they push away. It's God who's revealed himself to them in that way through your life. They stink to it. We got to look at it. We got to look at it. All right. So while we over here in the Psalms, look in Psalm 18. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Psalm 18. Look in verse number 25. Psalm 18, 25. You don't want to miss this because this applies to you and me as it applies to our walk with the Lord and then how God reveals himself to people who are not walking with him. They look at you and they don't want any part of what he's doing. And that's actually a design of God. Now watch this, verse 25 of Psalm 18. This is also mentioned in 2 Samuel 22. 
2 Samuel 22. Verse 25 says, with those who are merciful. Now, no man can be merciful without the work of grace in their life already. So we're talking about somebody who has a shepherd, who's following that shepherd. With the merciful, God shows himself as what? Merciful. Merciful. So in relationship to the character we walk in will be in relationship to how we see God. Those who are humble and merciful see God as being humble and merciful in the sense that he lowers himself to work with us, speak to us. He's aware, he's affected by, and he acts on. That's Jesus as a shepherd. He sees us. All right. Verse, the same verse. With a blameless man, you will show yourself as what? blameless, upright. The upright sees God as upright. Everything God does is upright to the upright. Everything God does is merciful to the merciful. They see God for who he is because that's how God shows himself to us. Verse 26, with the pure, God, you will show yourself pure as being clean, used trustworthy, faithful, There's no impurities with him. Everything he does is righteous and just. Even in his just judgments and what he does is still pure. But watch the closing of this passage. And with the devious, that is the twisted, the froward man. Is that what your translation says, Miss Pat? The froward man. That means somebody who's crooked in their nature, bent in their nature. With the froward, you show yourself as being what? Froward or shrewd, unwanted, smelly, stinky. Don't want anything to do with him. They see him as corrupt. That God is a crutch and anybody that serves him is weak and feeble. And that's all he is. And all he does is going to get you in trouble and he's going to cause division And he's going to cause this in your life. That's how they treated that young boy. They didn't want anything to do with that young boy. As long as he was blind, he was in in the best position they thought he could be in. But as soon as Jesus does something for him, now that boy becomes their arch enemy because he testified of what God just did. And now they want him to lie what God just did to validate their truth. Why? Because they saw Jesus as being a lunatic, as shrewd, as crooked, and a liar because they couldn't see him. But that boy saw him as what? Merciful. That boy saw him as upright and pure. And whatever Jesus said, that boy was willing to do. Why? Because he saw him for who he was. God had made himself known to him as his shepherd in this life. So sometimes you are going to stink to people when you're walking with Jesus. Amen. When you're walking with Jesus. Now, if you really stink for what you're doing, you're going to stink to other people as well. But I'm talking about when you're doing what God's given you to do yeah. and you stink, you know this is a God thing. Let me show you in the New Testament because we've got to come back to the old. In the New Testament, look if you would in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. These are saying one of the same thing. God reveals himself to them as being something totally unwanted. They don't want no part of it. No part of it. 
Just like these Pharisees. What was the condition of these Pharisees' hearts? They were blind. They were lost. They were perishing. And they wanted what? Nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing to do. Matter of fact, all they wanted to do was kill him. He stunk to them. Okay. Well, verse number 14 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians 2 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us when he's leading. If he's leading, he's always leading us in triumph in who? Did he lead that young boy that day outside the temple in triumph? Man, when they kicked him out, what did Jesus do? He come and found him. Amen. Come and found him. Said, do you know who the Son of Man is? Tell me who it is. You know who the Son of God is? Tell me who he is. Point him out to him. Jesus said, I am he. And that boy fell on his knees. And he worshipped him that day. Why? That boy was led in triumph by Christ. God always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through our lives as he leads us in triumph... He diffuses the aroma of the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Knowledge is how God makes himself known. Remember what Psalm 18 said to the, to the what? Blameless man and the merciful man and the pure and the upright. This is how God reveals himself. Okay. Verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. That's the fragrance of life. And among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of what? And death stinks. You ever rode down the road and smelled a dead carcass? That's been out there for a little bit in that Mississippi sun. And it's swelling up. Y'all getting uncomfortable just thinking about it, aren't you? You know what it smells like. Death stinks. It's rotten. The Bible says that Jesus would not see corruption in the grave. His body wouldn't rot. Why? What was God going to do to that body? He was bringing him out the grave, glory be. Amen. Look, it's the aroma of death and to the other. It's the aroma of life leading to life. And who in the world is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God but as of sincerity, but as as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. So you know why you stink sometimes? Because God has shown himself to those that you stink before. He's shown himself as something that is unsavory, something they want no part of, and they push away from it, and they run away, just like those Pharisees, those crooked shepherds, who was misleading Israel in that day and just kicked that boy out of the temple because they saw God as unsavory. Even though they laid claim that they were for God, they were actually of their father, according to John 8. Who was, who was their father? The devil, whose death is in him. No truth in him. He's full of a lie. And death is in him. So do you see what I'm talking about? When he shepherds you and leads you in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake, you're going to have enemies. But what is God going to do? He's going to prepare a table before you in the presence of those whom you stink before. 
and he's going to let your cup overflow. That thief is going to come and he's going to try to steal the word. He's going to try to uh, steal your worth and he's going to try to destroy your world. But Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. And out of that life, Brittany, he's going to diffuse his aroma. Now, how does all this play into those passages I mentioned earlier to you? Turn over the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33 and 34. We don't have time tonight uh, to look at all of it. We have talked about it not too long ago. I'll look back in some of my notes and we read through these when we was walking through Kings and Chronicles. We brought this to light. When Jesus and Jeremiah had such a problem with the shepherds and he had mentioned that shepherds are leaders, rulers is the idea. But Ezekiel 33 and 34, just in your own time, I would encourage you to read the issue that God had with those leaders and their crookedness and their corruptness and that God said he was going to do something himself. He would do something himself. And that's where 33 would lead in the 34 and that God was going to deal with these crooked shepherds. And if you get over into 17 of chapter 34, well, look in verse 11. I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights. 34.11. Look what God tells us. You can put John 10 above this. 34.11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed I, God, myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. What did Jesus say he came to do? He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. He says, I myself will come and search out my sheep. I will not depend on another shepherd to do it. I myself will come. Well, how would God come? In 3411, how would he come? He came in the way of a womb through a virgin by the name of Mary who he entered into this world sent from God. He came from God. He was from above and he came to this earth to seek the lost sheep of Israel. They were sheep, even though they were wandering without a shepherd, they were sheep, they'd always been sheep, and he came to lay his life down for his sheep. All right, jump over, if you would, to verse 17. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. It is too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you should tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture. This was the problem with what they were doing. Verse 20, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore, verse 22, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Who is this, this shepherd that he's going to establish? He says, my servant who? How can it be David? If, how can it be David's been dead for, for 
thousands of years now. How can it be David? What did Jesus, who did Jesus say he was? He was what? What does the gospel testify that he was the son of David in the flesh? So we talking about who here? We talking about Jesus. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. So Luke, Lucas, what you just read, what we did, what you just heard me read is being fulfilled in John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He is the shepherd that God said, I will send. It wasn't David. It was the son of David. He was of the seed of David. God, because this was a mystery to them in the Old Testament, this is talking about Jesus here who came as the good shepherd to lay his life down so that God would shepherd his flock. He said he will be a, not, not just a shepherd, but he will also be a prince among them. And a prince is one who's going to rule over them and reign over them, and they're going to follow his lead. He's going to govern them in this life, and they will follow his voice because they know him, and he knows them all by name. Verse 26 says, I will make them and the place around them my hill a blessing. So if you are, if you are his sheep, you are a blessing. Amen. Amen. God made you to be a blessing. And in that blessing, what does God get to do? He diffuses what? An aroma. And out of that aroma, to some people it is a blessing, but to other people in that blessing, it's aroma of Death. It's a stench, an unsavory thing that they don't want any part of. I mentioned another passage, passage in Ezekiel this morning. Look in chapter 20. Look in 2037. 2037, I believe it is. Remember I told you what happened when the shepherd would come in from the day and they would come into those folds that they would make every one of those sheep, he would put his rod out, Miss Pat, and he would keep them from going into the door, the gate. And he would check those sheep to make sure everything was okay with them. Because through the day, in some of the terrain that they had to walk through, they could, they could wound themselves. They could be hurt. And the shepherd was going to compassionately check them and make sure their wool would pick up stuff as they walked through the day. And that could wind up being a problem for them down the road. Remember, everything he was doing with them was to care for them. But that care was so that these sheep would be productive, that they would produce wool and they would produce kids. They would, they would produce these lambs and they would take care of them. And notice what verse 37 says. He says, I will make you pass under what? The rod, the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will make you pass under the rod of the shepherd. And that's just something that, that God does with each one of us. So just a great image there that we get to see of passing under that. Now, before we go tonight, I mentioned one other passage. Uh, I said Amos. Find Amos. Let's find Amos. And I got one more and we're going to break. We'll break. The good shepherd lays his life down for who? The sheep. The sheep, the sheep, the sheep know his voice and the sheep do what? Amos 3, 
Notice the responsibility of the shepherd. Look in verse number 12. I just like this image here. This is the accountability and the responsibility of his shepherd. See, what would happen, the shepherd had to always deal with danger when he's out in the open air shepherding the sheep. What we talked about this morning, you got thieves, you got bandits, you got robbers, but you also got ravenous, hungry beasts out there. You got wolves and cougars and lions and even bears that are always looking for easy prey. And a sheep, sheep would be an easy prey. And they would stalk them. And these shepherds had to protect them. Why? They were accountable for every head that they had been given the shepherd. Now notice what this says here in verse number 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria. You get that picture here. A shepherd, even say, Lucas, a lion gets a hold of one of those sheep. And he starts dragging that sheep off. Say he, he has done last down on that neck. And he done suffocated. Shepherd couldn't get to it. And he done broke the neck of that sheep. And that sheep is gone. Sheep is dead. What that lion's going to do is going to start dragging that sheep off. It's going to get it out of that field. It's going to go find a place that they could eat, and they're going to put it to the side. Well, when that shepherd sees that lion dragging that dead sheep off, because the shepherd was accountable for every sheep that he had, especially one who was shepherding for someone, what he would do is take his rod and his staff and chase that lion down, and he would go to beating that lion to let that sheep go. And even if he could only get two legs or just a piece of an ear, that's what he would take back and present to that owner of the sheep to say, look, I didn't sell this. I didn't give this away. I didn't make no money off of this. A beast came in and took it, and I fought that beast off, and this is all I got to prove as, a, as accountability that I didn't steal from you or take from you. I laid my life down and fought to the death to take that sheep out of that lion's mouth, and this is what I got to give to you. And what that tells us that if a normal everyday man shepherd would go to that extreme to be accountable, how much more would the Lord Jesus be accountable for his own sheep? Amen. He is going to present us to his father. You can guarantee that. Amen. Amen. Matthew 25, the Bible gives a picture of the throne of God and all the sheep and the goats are before the throne and the scripture says that the Lord Jesus said, Inherit the kingdom of God, which has been prepared for you from before time ever began. And he separates the goats on one side and the sheep on the other side. And he says to the sheep, to the sheep now, not to the goats, but to the sheep. My father's been preparing this for you before time ever began. And Jesus is accountable to present us as sheep to his heavenly father. And he's going to present every one of them. That's the eternal security that no man, remember what Jesus said, no man could snatch them out of my father's hand. Me and my father are one in John 10. Y'all remember reading that today? He says, my, my father, there ain't nobody going to snatch him out of my hand or my father's hand. 
Why? Because he's accountable for us. If you ever been saved, you'll be forever saved and you got a forever shepherd who's going to ensure you make your way to the throne of God. Amen. He's going to bring you there. One more passage. One more passage. I just like that, that picture there. Two legs and an ear. That'd be a good title for a message, huh, Brother Shannon? I think so. Two legs and an ear. He's going to get you there. He's gonna, this old world may wound you. It may beat you half to death. But the king's going to get you to the throne. Amen. He's going to get you to the throne. Psalm 77. Is he a good shepherd? Amen. What does the good shepherd do for his sheep? He lays his life down for his sheep. No different than a husband that lays his life down for his bride. You know, that's the image. Just a little side note. The sheep and the bride are all the same. Y'all know that, right? The bride is the sheep and the sheep are the bride. That's all one of the same. And remember when God created Adam... And he couldn't find a suitable helper for him, so God created something else. What did he create? He created a woman. He created a woman. And what did he do? He gave that woman to who? To the man. So all that you've been reading through in John, y'all keep, y'all remember reading this. He says, all that the Father has given me. I will not lose any. Why? Because he lays his life down for the one that the Father gives him. Who's the one the Father gives him? She's the bride. Who's the bride? It's the sheep, the ones that he gives his life for as the good shepherd. So the image of him the Father gave is the same image with the first Adam and Eve. We, the bride, are given to the Son by the Father. He said, Father, they were yours. You gave them to me, and now I'll present her, my bride, back to you, back to you as my bride. So Psalm 77, we're going to, this is all about what happened when God delivered them out of Egypt. But look in verse number 19. I mentioned this passage this morning. Just notice the phrasing in there. God's way, your way was where? Not over it. Not around it, not under it, but what? In. God's way today is in Jesus. He's the door. You can't go around him. You can't go under him. You can't go over him. You got to go in him. You got to go through him. He is the door. Jesus said, I am the door. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. You, your footsteps were not known. They had never went this way before. They didn't know this path. But in faith they had to what? They had to follow. And what does it say in verse 20? You led your people like a a flock. God's always been the shepherd of his people. And he leads us like a flock. Now John 10 tells us that God has two flocks. What are the two flocks? He's got a flock of Jews that are his, and he's got a flock of the Gentiles. And Jesus said, I must bring both of them to my Father. Both of them. That they'll be what? One flock. So he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, which are one flock, which are one flock of sheep, 
who is actually also in another picture, Brittany, the bride of Christ. That's who the sheep are. Who the Father gave to the Son as a gift before time ever began. So he come to find, he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. A good thing. The Son came to find what the Father set apart for him. And who are they? She is the bride of Christ. And they are the sheep who he laid his life down for to save. Man. And not one will be? Not one. Not one. Even if it's just two legs and an ear. Amen. He's going to get us there to the glory of God. Matter of fact, not even two legs and an ear because flesh and blood is not going to what? Inherit the kingdom of God. He's going to make us all new. We don't know what we'll be, but whatever we are, we're going to be like him. Amen. Amen. And it's going to turn into something that just can't figure it out right now, but we're going to be like him. An old lump of coal turned into a diamond. Amen. We're trophies of his grace, that which he laid his life down for. So everybody in the world needs a shepherd. But they need a crucified shepherd. They need a compassionate shepherd, a great shepherd who will guide them through this life. And they need a coming shepherd who they can rest their hope in, their glory in, that he's not going to leave them in this world. He's coming back for them. Amen? Amen? So the Bible gives us that picture. He's a shepherd. But he's also a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. And he is the chief shepherd who's coming back for his people. Man. Therefore, we shall not want. We shall lack nothing as we follow him through this life. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you tonight. We bless you. Thank you for these revelations, these truths. And it's hard a lot of times when we smell before people, but it's by design. Not that we mock them because that's not the intent whatsoever. Just like this young boy we're reading about today of how all this unfolded. You said he was born so that you could do a work in his life. He was born blind so you could do a work in his life. And he didn't create trouble or cause conflict among those that couldn't see what he, what he could see. But he didn't let them hinder him in giving you glory and praise. Thank you for shepherding us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for loving us and laying your life down for us. Because you tell us that you're not only our shepherd, but you're also the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. As you followed your father, your shepherd, you sacrificially laid your life down and shed your blood on our behalf as your own sacrifice so that you could be a substitute for us in this life that we live so that we could take upon your righteousness and live with you forever. So Lord, we praise you for working all these mysteries out doing what we could never do, revealing what we could never say, and seeing what we could never see apart from you opening our eyes to see it. So thank you for loving on us here at Briggs Chapel and those under the sound of my voice tonight. 
We just pray that as you shepherd us, we give you the glory and the praise for it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, it's been a good day. It's been a good day, good day in the house of the Lord. Y'all make sure y'all tell Carolyn happy birthday. Have y'all told her happy birthday yet? Yes. 